At the edge of this story from the scriptures lies a really strange puzzle that is the mystery of ingratitude. And in this particular narrative, Jesus poses the issue uh, in terms of this question that he asks of the leper who returns to him on that particular day. Were not all ten cleansed? Weren't there ten people here that were cleansed by me of disease, yet only you, and parenthetically, because the man was a Samaritan and regarded popularly as the one who least got the things of God from the Jewish perspective, and yet you return, says Jesus, yet only you return to give thanks. Where, where, where are the other nine? Where are the ones I would have expected to come back? And it is a strange situation, if you think about it. If somebody who had leprosy was suffered from one of the most socially isolating, humiliating, uncomfortable conditions known in the ancient world, and, it, and out of 10 people suddenly and miraculously healed of this horrific, deforming disease, only one of them seems filled with enough gratitude to come back and give praise to God, to Jesus, for his salvation. I, I feel very certain that if any 10 of us, if I were to walk down here and just sort of at random peck out 10 of you, and expose you to that radical healing grace, our praise percentage would have been a whole lot higher. Don't you think so? Don't you think we would be? Much more grateful, much more responsive to God's grace. Think about that for a minute. Let's just imagine that it actually had been you that was healed in this particular way. Maybe you had leprosy or cancer, say. And uh, the doctor's diagnosis was basically, we can't help you. We can't do anything more for you. And, and yet along comes God's grace and miraculously you're cleansed of the disease. Or, or perhaps you were terribly afflicted with some other condition, maybe even more common than cancer. Maybe you were suffering from the raging guilts. Have you ever had the raging guilts or the dangerous denials? You, these are two conditions which uh, are contracted often from some crippling failure in our past, some blinding vice in our present behavior perhaps. Suppose you suffered from those maladies. Or, or suppose you had a chronic case of crabiosis. <laughs> I've had that from time to time. Or pity party aholicism. Suppose you suffered from either one of these conditions, and you've probably seen them or experienced them. They're evidenced by a frequently abrasive, often unpredictable personality that makes others shy away from contact with you when you've got crabiosis or pity party holicism. People just don't want to hang out with you very much. It's like you're a social leper. If you think about it, there are all kinds of conditions from which we can suffer, not just physical ones, sometimes spiritual, emotional, psychological conditions. For you, it could be a severe bout of hypocrititis, uh, which, as you probably know, is marked by this recurring tendency to criticize other people when your own life is actually a mess, when it's riddled with dishonesty or stupid insensitivity. 
uh, and yet you're just judging other people, picking on other people. Or just perhaps it's the deadly apathies you have. Or an acute case of the blame others, which is evidenced by anemic commitment to serving other people and a progressively atrophying will to work for change in our family, our workplace, our society. These are just nine of the possible maladies that might be out there uh, in even this room, uh, leaving us with not much reason to expect a cure, even assuming we really got our condition. But suppose that for one instance, like, like those lepers on the roadside that particular day, we actually saw our problem. We, we recognized how sick we were, how desperately in need of somebody else's help because we had not been able to fix this in ourselves. And suppose we cried out like those lepers did, Jesus, Master, we shouted out in a loud voice, as the Bible says, have mercy upon us, pity us, do something for us. And, and then just suppose that what, what we had no right to expect or probably would not have dared expect, a veritable miracle took place. Imagine that God did not just look at you and say, you've gotten yourself into this position, Um, deal with it. Suppose God stopped in his tracks, Jesus approached you personally, he looked deeply into your eyes, and he reached out in love and laid his hand upon you and healed you entirely of that condition. He transformed you in a life-changing way and put his new being within you and gave you his, his hope again and filled you with his life and said to you, now I want you to take those gifts and in spite of all you've been through and be an agent of blessing in the lives of other people. And suppose he opened your vision in that moment now to the way in which his grace had always been working in your life. How, how surrounded you are by blessings, by friends and family members who are miracles in themselves, by opportunities and talents and capacities unknown to the vast majority of other people in the world. What's going to be your response as you're there by the roadside with him? Would you not just want to seek him out? Would you not, wouldn't you just want to tell everybody you knew about that grace, about that wondrous love? Wouldn't you want to just throw your body and all of your resources at his feet, saying, praise you, God, use me. Use me in any way you want. I'm yours. I'd like to think that that would be true for me. But, but as, I, as I really sat with this story this week and, and looked at my own life, it struck me that, that in more ways than a very comfortable to face, probably nine times out of ten, I do not respond to the magnitude of the grace that comes my way. Each day, I know I'm getting amazing gifts from the people 
around me. I mean, I get, I, this morning, I'm, I'm kind of groggy just waking up. I look over, and next to my bed is a steaming cup of hot coffee my wife has gone downstairs and made for me and brought up, sat there. And I just sort of reach over, and I pick it up, and, was I filled with a sense of, oh, praise God, she chose to get up ahead of me and go downstairs and let me sleep on, and now she gives me this wonderful wake-up form? No. No. It's not my response. Right? Do I go on and think, oh, think of all the other graces that Amy and my kids shower upon me. Think of how, how wonderful it is to have this job at Christ Church and how, what nice people I get to see when I come to church on Sunday morning and what a beautiful world this is. And look at all the, just the, what I have at my disposal on this planet and being alive in America in this period of history. Do these things rush through me and fill me up with a sense of God's goodness and what he's done on the cross and the hope of resurrection and all of those different things? On a good day, on a very good day, I might offer one thank you, one praise God. Out of nine amazing graces received. And the question of Jesus haunts me. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Why is it that something as simple as thank you or praise you so often gets lost in the shuffle of our lives? Is it that we're just lousy, lazy ingrates? Sometimes, maybe, but, but not most of the time. So, so what is it? Why aren't we more often praising, giving thanks for the graces we're receiving in inappropriate ways? Why, why isn't it one of the most dominant characteristics of our day and our behavior? Two possible explanations occur to me for why it isn't a more frequent, a more encompassing pastime for us. I suspect that one of the reasons why we don't say thank you quite often enough is that we do not really think that our praise makes much of a difference. We just don't think it, it makes that much of a difference. We feel that our, our God and our spouse... And our parents and our friends know that we're really grateful for what they've done for us. And we think that just saying it out loud would, would seem like a platitude or a formality or a redundancy. You know, he's a little bit like the, the guy goes to marital counseling and, and they've had terrible problems in their marriages. And, and, the, and the woman says, you know, he just never express, never tells me that he really loves me and and the counselor says, well, is that true? I mean, you know, Bob, do you not say I love you often enough to Stella? And he says, I said it on the day we were married and it still stands until I revoke it. Maybe we think, gosh, we've, we've said it. It doesn't need saying anymore. Or it wouldn't really make that much of a difference. I think of the story of the army chaplain who once uh, sat on a battlefield cradling the head of a young soldier whose life was ebbing away. And in this agonizing moment, the chaplain asked him if he believed that Jesus was with him and that Christ would come and take him home. 
And the young man's eyes momentarily brightened. And he began to tell the chaplain in his weakened voice of how he had gone to Sunday school as a kid. And how there had been one particular teacher who had helped him to ask Jesus into his heart. And, and, and who had assured him that God would be with him every day of his life, no matter what. And the young man said, and I know that's still true, even now. Before he died, the young man asked the chaplain to do something for him. He said, I want you to find that teacher and say thank you on my behalf. And sometime later, the chaplain found himself standing outside of the door of that particular Sunday school teacher's home. He'd gotten the name, he'd gotten the church, he'd managed to track it down. Now he was standing outside of the door, and he's ringing the doorbell, and the door opens, and he's greeted by this nice middle-aged lady, and in faltering words, he tells the story. He explains why he's there, who had sent him, and he, and he told how the young man had wanted to give her thanks for the incredible difference that she had made in his life. And the woman just began to cry and then to sob, great, racking, uncontrollable sobs. And doing his best to console her, the chaplain said, I had no idea that you and Sean were that close. And she said, that's just it. I hardly knew the boy, I hardly remember the boy, but I gave up teaching Sunday school eight years ago because I just didn't think I was making any difference. How many people are on the verge of giving up on the significant ministries, the significant little things, the significant commitments of their lives because they have not been told what a difference their acts of grace make. Think of how much this even matters to Jesus. It clearly, Jesus tells us, matters to God that he hears from us vocally. That we have recognized the grace and value it. The sound of those two words, thank you, praise you, bring joy to the heart of God. God rejoices, the scriptures say, in the praises of his people. He doesn't like just to get us here together so that we can be fed, so that we can enjoy our time, so that we can be entertained. God wants to hear the praises of his people. He is fed in some way that's hard for us to understand. He, he finds joy and pleasure in the praises, in the thank yous of his people. And, and it occurs to me that, that one of the first things we've got to hold on to is to remember how much of a difference our praises make to God and to the people around us. 
It occurs to me, secondly, that another reason why sometimes we don't say the thank you or offer the praise that is needed is because we do not altogether like the fact that we are so dependent on grace. I wonder if that was true of the lepers. I wonder if, having made their way, scratched out their way, toughed out their way for so long with this terrible malady, and then suddenly healed of it, there was not some discomfort at having been so beholden to somebody else. They were not maybe altogether comfortable with the fact that they were now so dependent upon this grace. I used to feel that acutely. I'm gonna, this is the truth. But before I became a follower of Jesus, grace kind of bugged me. Now, I didn't mind... Um, I didn't mind the kind of grace I got at Christmas time, you know, at birthday time. But honestly, it didn't really feel like grace. I figured, well, they're supposed to give me presents then. It's sort of the way life is done. Um, I especially felt some discomfort with all of this idea of grace at holiday times, beyond the birthdays, at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, at Easter time, uh, because the idea of grace got really lifted up in my family during those particular moments. On the bright side, the food around those holiday times was fantastic. I mean, it really was stupendous. My mother would spend two days preparing for a meal that it took two days to recover from. Uh, She would find uh, some kind of of creature. Uh, It was a turkey, it was a ham, it was a lamb. Usually it was so huge, we had a big family, that we sort of half suspected she'd gotten a good deal on dinosaur meat someplace and was just sort of serving it to us. It it, it was followed almost always at every one of those holidays by this huge terrain of real mashed potatoes with like an ice cream scoop of butter on the top, you know, gently melting down. There would be these various uh, plates or bowls of, of vegetables and other concoctions in Martha Stewart colors, right? Just gorgeous, a gorgeous table. And there'd be a sideboard full of, of desserts. You could get diabetes walking past that table. I mean, it was fantastic. As I said, the food around these holiday times was, was wonderful. It was what happened before we dug into the food that bugged me as a kid. 17, 18 years old. I'm a follower of Ayn Rand. I'm an atheist. My family insists that we say grace, that we give thanks to God. In fact, we often were required at these gatherings to kind of go around the table and everybody was to talk about what it was that they really felt was a blessing in their life. And that, that stuck in my throat. That was hard for me. I did not like the idea that I had to thank somebody else for the things that I had. And I enjoyed, and I frankly felt I very often deserved or that were the normal part of things. And I especially didn't like the idea of doing that to God. I didn't see God in the kitchen. I didn't see God making this. You know, that was my attitude in many ways. And, And I guess when it comes right down to it, praising God or anybody else is particularly hard for those of us who have some difficulty with the idea that our presence in the universe wasn't a necessity. Right? Or that it isn't a continuing necessity. Uh, Or that we may 
not have truly earned all the good stuff that has come our way in life. For those of us who think that we've just put it all in, we've been the ones who sort of bootstrapped ourselves and gotten through the tough times, we struggle with this idea that we may be beneficiaries of a grace larger than the many hours we've worked or the sacrifices we've made. The Good Friday and the Easter that we've just celebrated reminds us of that. I don't know if it's stuck in the throat for any of you as we're going through those celebrations. Because they proclaim this reality that the crowning glory of our lives, uh, the great hope and salvation of our lives, is not all that we've done, but all that God has done. All that God continues to do on our behalf. They call us to remember that we're recipients of a grace that we could never have earned, that we can't ever fully repay, but which we can only respond to. Respond to. And I think, I think you get it. I think you're the statistically unusual people who get it. Because there, because there were 4,200 people here last week at the feast. <laughs> right? 4,200 people here last weekend. Um, and most did not come back. They experienced grace, magnificent music, the message of God's amazing love. They, but they're out there someplace, somewhere else today. You came back. You returned to give praise. So let me just suggest in closing today some specific ways you might really sing it out, that praise, that I think is our, is our best intention, at least those of us who, who are within the sound of my voice right now. Let me suggest very swiftly 10 practical ways you can do this and send on your way. You'll have to write really fast. Maybe you don't bother. Go to the website. It'll be there. Here's 10 ideas, okay? Maybe just see which ones really stick in your head and heart. Number one, tell God what of his gracious work described during this recent Easter season you feel especially thankful for. Was it the cross? Was it the resurrection? Was it the way he overturned the money changers table? What is it about the witness and the work of God in this last Holy Week time you're especially impressed by or thankful for? Uh, And write it down in a journal or put it in the back of your Bible But record that, tell God in some way what you were touched and impressed by. Number two, list out or tell somebody else, maybe after church today, at least one of the attributes of the character of Christ that you most admire and that you pray he will grow in you and praise him for the desire he's created in you for that. Number three, when you sing in church, We're going to have a chance in just a moment to do it one more time. When you sing, sing out with at least as much gusto as if it was Harry Carey leading you in Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Give God at least as much energetic praise as you give at a ball game when you sing the national anthem. 
Um, don't count on the folks up here to be the professional appraisers. Let's let it come out of us. Um, remembering he rejoices in the praises of his people. Fourth, when somebody else praises you for something you've done, they thank you for what you've done, praise God as the source. Say, thank you so much. I couldn't have done it without his grace. I'm so grateful for him and all he's done. Over the next month, fifthly, give more than you normally would to some kingdom-building cause God cares about. Do it as an act of praise and thanksgiving for him. Six, when you see evidence of God's grace in the life of another person, praise God for it out loud. Uh, That musical gift, ah, praise you for that gift, musical gift you've given that person. Uh, Praise God for that 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 faithfulness I see over there in that in that person. Uh, Just praise God as the source of these graces. Tell, seven, tell other people what it is about them you're praising God for. I mean, I watched you in that conflict situation and the way you handled yourself. It reminded me of Jesus. I'm praising God for that picture of Christ you gave me by the way you handled that. Or the way you, 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 you gave of yourself without anybody singing your praises, without anybody recognizing it. I just saw you serving. And it reminded me of the way Jesus came to be the servant of all. And I'm praising God for you and your witness in my life. Nine or eight, before you get out of the bed in the morning, before you even reach over for that cup of coffee, put your toes on the ground, praise God for another day of life. God, you got me through the night. I have another shot at it. I woke up on this side of the ground. Awesome. Thank you. When you go through difficult times during the day, and and it'll get hard a lot of the time, praise God that he's with you to strengthen you, that you're not facing any of these things alone, that he's at work for your good no matter what. Praise him that he is faithful and present. And finally, when you lay your head down on the pillow, praise God that you can rest, you can go to sleep because he's still going to be on the job. You can let it go. You're not in charge of the world. You can just let it roll off and be at peace because he is God. There are 10 ways to praise him. Okay? Do you think you can get your percentage above one of those things? Could it get, could it get, get up to two or three of those things? This week, could, could it be that way for me? Could our praise percentage go up? Yes? No? Yes. 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 Because if we, if we praise God even more, of this I'm absolutely sure, it will make a difference to God. It will bring him joy. It will fill our outlook in life with a deeper awareness of grace, and, and it will draw us into the way of joy that is such an important part of the way of Jesus. Please pray with me.
God, we praise you for who you are, for what you do, for what you've done, and for the way that that has touched us with your grace. Hear it from us. Hear our thanksgiving, our our accolades. Uh, Hear the, the way in which we Extend our thanksgiving and praise to those you have used as servants in our lives. Hear it, Lord, and we pray, be filled with joy as we walk into that way, your way of grace more fully ourselves. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.